The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Show 36 out of 36 in a row. We made it, and damn it, I am ready for a two-day break from podcasting, although I'm actually going to be seeing other human beings for the first time in, like, what are we at now? About 20 months? Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. My time will be well spent. Anyway, welcome to the show, everybody. This is a Friday edition Kind of turning back the clock today, actually, for a a classic Friday, let's talk about all the stuff that went down, basically over the first two weeks and a half, of in-season, fantasy-relevant basketball. It's a throwback show to the days of Dan and Brew on Fridays, which, by the way, we're going to have a lot of those Dan and Brew Fridays this year. I just happened to not have any babysitter yesterday, so I couldn't schedule in a time it's why yesterday's show uh was missing some information because it was recorded late on wednesday night which i know a lot of you guys actually prefer that but i can't i can't do that every night there's just there's too much noise and you heard there was a scream a child scream in the middle of that show it's just not that's not a sustainable model but uh we will have brew and dan fridays they will be coming back probably starting as early as next week And for those that have been a part of this in the past, you know that we go through all the ads, holds, drops, streams, buys, and sells, the most obvious ones at the very least, of the week just played out. Although right now we're probably going to go with kind of a a two weeks done. But really it's what's happened over the last few days because things change so quickly in the NBA that we uh, just have to be ready for it. So we're going to dive right on in. I'm not going to bother with yesterday's box scores because it's all going to be sort of rolled up together into this full weekend review show that'll get you situated for the weekend. And then, of course, on Monday, we'll have reverse chronological lightning round Monday where we go back and review everything that happened over the weekend and kind of get ourselves reset. It'll be a different feel than having shows every single day since the first day of October. But you'll get used to it, I promise, and many of you have been used to it in the past. I want to do the uh, holds first. So let's just dive right into it. By the way, I'm Dan Bespris. I don't know if I mentioned that. Whatever. Doesn't matter. The holds from this week, and some of them are much more obvious by the time we got to today, but I wanted to drop them in there because there were some question marks at some point earlier in the week, and then other ones do belong on this list. So... Someone like a Matisse Thibel, who I admit everything that was happening in Philadelphia was starting to annoy me a little bit. Uh, just the who's in, who's out. Who's going to play minutes? How many will they play? And with Thibel, it was bouncing around a little bit. But with Tobias Harris out with COVID, which again, apparently, Doc Rivers came out and said, look, he's not like he's not feeling good. And I don't know what that means. Hopefully it means bad flu and nothing worse than that for Tobias because I, I believe he is. I believe he's vaccinated. I think we heard the Sixers were 100% vaxxed. So I, I'm assuming that's not pointing towards any kind of hospital stay. But yeah, I mean, if he's laid up for a few days with 
bad or really bad flu-like symptoms. And then you got to wait until the viral load all goes away so he can test negative twice. And then he's going to have to kind of get his win back after that. It's going to be a little bit. So Thibault, who was already inside the top 70 with Harris healthy, slides way up the board. He's now number 56 in nine cats so far this year on the shoulders of almost exclusively two positive categories. And then turnovers is also a positive Free throws, field goal percent, those are all basically net neutral for him because he doesn't take any. He doesn't score. He doesn't rebound. He doesn't pass. He doesn't hit three-pointers. He's getting four combined defensive stats, and that's doing everything for him. But you know what? That's enough right now. Plug someone like that into your lineup. It allows you to have other guys on your team that don't get defensive stats. Like Spencer Dinwiddie so far is number 52. He's averaging half a combined defensive stat so far this year. Those two guys are actually kind of an interesting story, not so much because they exist on the same fantasy team all that often, but more so because people are like, oh, well, Thibault, he only does it in two categories. Yes, it opens the board up for you in other things because it's very easy to make up for a couple missed rebounds or not a ton of scoring out of one guy. It's not that hard. I mean, it... it, it becomes a bit more complicated if you have a high-volume guy who doesn't do anything defensively. So he pairs well. He's like a a fine evening wine with a bunch of other things that you're doing. So just hold on to him. Things are going well for him right now. I don't know that this needed to be in that column, but it is. Kelly Olenek is a hold, which that one does belong on this list because he's coming off a very quiet performance yesterday. They gave Isaiah Stewart in Detroit. I say they. It's Dwayne Casey. Gave Isaiah Stewart the lion's share of the center minutes, but we saw what Olenek can do when given any kind of opportunity. And honestly, right now, his numbers are kind of being artificially depressed by the fact that he hasn't shot the free throw well so far this year on not a ton of volume, but also not super little. Olenek's averaging almost four free throws a game in 22 minutes, and he's making but 66% of them. So if you sort of... I don't want to say adjust for that because anything can happen and guys have seasons where they just suck at the free throw line and other seasons where they do better. But Olenek's a career 78 percenter. Last year in Houston, in his in his vicious run, he was shooting 84 percent at the foul line. And, and, and he hasn't, during a regular season where he's actually gotten to the line at all, shot below basically 80 percent, 82 percent, frankly, since like 2017. So the 66 percent right now, presumably will work its way up. It seems like he's being given, at least when he's on the floor, more freedom in Detroit than he had in Miami. In 22 minutes a game with the Pistons, he's averaging 9.5 shots a game, 3.5 free throws, 12.3 points right now, and excuse me, in 27 minutes with Miami last year, pre-trade, he was only taking 8.7 shots. So his usage is way up in Detroit compared to where, where it was in Miami, which means... We don't need him to get to the 30 or 31-minute threshold he got in Houston to have fantasy value. He was basically there in Miami last year. He just needed to be a tiny bit more aggressive, which is where he's at in Detroit. So we're only like two minutes a game away from him having the fantasy value, basically being where his ADP would have put him, like 95-ish. That's it. He's like two minutes and a free throw mean reversion away 
from being at his ADP. So don't punt on this, guys. And then there's there's significant upside beyond that. If Isaiah Stewart gets hurt, if Jeremy Grant gets hurt, or even if Dwayne Casey's just like, you know what, screw it, you're going to get a few backup power forward minutes. That's all it would take for him to beat his ADP. That's how close it is, even if it seems farther away in the moment. Jay Sean Tate is on the hold list, which I think that one probably requires less convincing. He's number 139 overall on the year, but we did a uh, little segment on him earlier this week. If you adjust for the games where it was either a terrible blowout or he was in foul trouble and he played like 16 minutes instead of 32, then he jumps into the top 80. So that's, I, I think that one's fairly self-explanatory. We probably don't need to go into Jay Sean Tate all that much. Rob Covington is on the list. And, and I'll admit, I'm, a, I'm becoming more concerned with Rocco by the day. But at the same time, he's getting minutes, 28 of them so far this year. And he did finally have one good game his last time out. And, and with one decent performance, admittedly not shooting at all, uh, he's, only, he's at 136. So it's not like he's at 200 and he's disappearing into the ether. He's actually pretty close to being kind of where we thought he would be, which was more like top 85 range this season on a per-game basis. I do think that his durability of late and on a team that, that wants to compete is going to be an asset. We're going to get to the end of the year, and he's going to have played 77 out of 82 games. So if he is around the top 100 on a per-game basis, he'll be more like a top 70 guy by totals, which I think would still miss my mark by about a round on my board. He's not on the Dan Vasquez Old Man Squad this year. You guys might have noticed that because there is a logjam happening in Portland. But at the same time, he's a notoriously slow starter. He's shooting 37% right now. These little things adjusting up a half a steal, whatever it happens to be, that's enough to get him inside the top 100. You guys, I think, are seeing why I wanted to start with the holds, because I think they probably deserve the biggest explanation of any of the players that we're talking about right now. Next up on the hold list, Ricky Rubio, who has fallen off. He's number 137 now after a pretty fast start. Largely because he can't hit a shot his last few ball games. He's shooting like 18% over his last two or three games. That's not good. And so overall on the year, his field goal percent has dropped to 34.5 on medium volume. But that's the double-edged sword that makes him a hold. If he's really getting, if he's really going to get 10, 11 shots a ball game this year, then he absolutely positively must be held on your fantasy team. And I don't fully know why, why that's not more clearly stated in the analyst universe. Also of note, uh, 1.3 steals per game is actually kind of on the low side for him. We could see that tick up a tiny bit. He was actually under a steal per game after his first five games. No, he's actually exactly at one steal per game. So that's actually a number that's been on the way up. Scoring, however, has drifted off a little bit. And listen, we know he's not a good shooter. He's career 39 percenter, so it's not like that number needs to come up a ton. But 11.6 shots per game would be more than he posted with the Phoenix Suns two seasons back, where, if you may recall, he was in that top 60 range that year. And he's not that far off 
from those numbers this season. He's shooting the ball worse. His assists are down by two over that year in Phoenix. They probably won't get up to nine where he was that season. But, uh, I mean, again, you've seen 10, 10, 8, 8. There's been another 8, a 7 mixed in there. And a couple of games where he was down in the 3 and 4 range where he actually scored a little bit better. He's on a vicious cold spell for three games in a row right now. But you can't punt on it because the heater for him which might be like the first three, four, five games, whatever it was, if that repeats itself, he rocket boosts back into the 80 range. That guy, that type of player is not available on your wire. I'm certain of it. TJ McConnell's a little bit of a harder case to make than Ricky Rubio because we can see that they really want to play Malcolm Brogdon 40 minutes a ball game. That's just not a sustainable model. One thing we're also seeing is that McConnell's beginning to get his rhythm back a tiny bit. He had that 10.10 assist, three steal game with Brogdon out. He put up 5.6 assists in only 17 minutes his last time around. So presumably, if we can grow that 17 back into his typical 22, 23, 24, 25, something in that neck of the woods, you add another third to it, and you're talking about more like 8 and 8 or... You could maybe go a little higher on the scoring, call it nine points, seven and a half assists, something in that neck of the woods. The steals for McConnell are also way down right now, and that's where he floats his value, in addition to the fact that he generally shoots over 50% from the field and not zero at the foul line, which is where we've been at so far. He's got a lot of stuff that's going to come back towards the midpoint. Now, if you want to drop, I can't stop you, but be ready because he's going to need to be picked up at some point relatively soon. When those things, like the steals in particular, when the steals start to wiggle back towards his rather hefty, normal mark. I mean, this is a guy who, like last year, 26 minutes a game, he averaged two steals a ball game, and that's not that far off from his career mark. He's at 1.3 in 22 minutes a game in his career, and he's at 24 this season, but only .9. It'll come around. The assists will probably trend up a little bit as well. And at that point, you got to be ready for it. I, I kind of have the same explanation coming up on Larry Nance, although I have him uh, leaning ever so slightly farther towards the drop list. You can kind of split the difference on those ones if you want. My key with these guys, Nance, McConnell, Boucher even although I think he's ever so slightly higher just because we've seen Chris Boucher. He can go top 40 in 24 minutes a game. These other two dudes cannot get to that level. The point is, I think the overarching theme is what are you getting? If you're going to move on from one of these guys, what are you getting? It's very easy to be an analyst and say, so-and-so is a drop. That's easy because they're not playing well. It's the obvious conclusion. But I do hope that when, that if, if someone like that advises a drop, that the, a giant mea culpa comes down the line. Whereas on this side, here's the thing. That's an all-lose... I'm trying to think of the right way to explain this because I, I, I worry that when I get into these types of things, people are going to be like, oh, Dan's coming after so-and-so. I'm not coming after anybody. I literally don't read anyone else's stuff anymore. I don't have time. So if you're thinking Dan's talking about some person in particular, I'm not. I don't know what anybody says on anything. I do know that someone out there is saying 
so-and-so is a drop because I get questions about it. That's basically the only way I know what other people are saying. Here's the thing, and I want you guys to really mull this particular thought process over, and then we'll pick up our speed a little bit on some of the other names on this list. Uh, TJ McConnell, Chris Boucher, Larry Nance Jr. I, I put those guys into one bucket because they're, they've done it before, and they've done it, I don't want to say long-term, because McConnell really only did it for one year where he was better than a top 100 guy, and Chris Boucher just hasn't been around all that long. But like Larry Nance... We've seen him do it a number of times. If he gets 24, 25 minutes a game, he's, an, he's a shoe in He's a lock for fantasy value. McConnell, we saw it last year. We know from his stat set that it does translate to 26, 27 minutes a game. Probably doesn't get that high this year, but again, same kind of thing. Chris Boucher, we know from his stat set when he gets X number of minutes, he values out at different gradations. What I want you guys to really think on is, if I drop this guy... What am I getting? By the way, the last name on my hold list is Reggie Jackson, and heaven forbid someone moved on from him while he was taking 20 shots a game. It's not quite that high. He's at 17 shots a game, guys. He, he has one of the highest usage rates in the NBA, at least among non-superstars. So that's just, it's simply not a guy that you could have ever parted with. I know that his fantasy game is not that robust, but he's... He's basically like among the top 30 in the NBA in overall stuff. How many times he touches a basketball during a game. He, Russell Westbrook, Damian Lillard are the only players who take that number of shots, 16.9 shots or more, that are not currently in the top 100. Russell Westbrook isn't in the top 100 because he has five turnovers a game and he's shooting 63% at the free throw line. Uh, Reggie Jackson and Damian Lillard are not in the top 100 because they're shooting so terribly poor from the field. Dame at 35% and Reggie at 36. So it's a really obvious conclusion. I mean, you have to go, the names become more prevalent as you get down into like the 13, 14 shots a game group. But when you're up in that 17, that's rarefied air for how many shots per game your team is letting you take. And if, you're, if you've been as bad at making them as Reggie had, well, you know things are going to level off. And then, good times indeed. The other guys around him, by the way, if you need another case to keep Reggie Jackson, the other guys near him at 17 shots a game, Jimmy Butler, Nikola Jokic, Carl Anthony Towns, DeJounte Murray, Julius Randle, Chris Middleton, Tyler Hero, LaMelo Ball, Malcolm Brogdon, Shea Gilgis, Alexander. Anyway, you get the idea. I, I want to pivot back into the idea of if I drop one of these guys, whoever it might be, I, and I, McConnell, Boucher, Larry Nance Jr., I put in that list because they're the guys everybody's asking about drops that have this built-in ability. There are other drops out there. Cam Reddish, that's an easier drop to make because we know there's no big-time upside there. Uh, anybody like a Patty Mills or a Bruce Brown, there, there just isn't an upside element you know they're not going to get the role that we need them to get. We don't know that about those three names that I threw out on the board. And you guys know I'm pretty high on Larry Nance Jr. He's a guy I liked a lot. TJ McConnell is a guy I'm relatively high on as well. I wasn't as high on Chris Boucher, but he fell to me in a number of spots. So I ended up with him in a couple uh, a couple places, kind of like, a oh, well, all right, well, I'll you know take a flyer on this. And there was, you know, there are better players, as it certainly to this point at that spot, looking back now. 
but I don't mind the dice roll. I don't really regret it all that much because I had taken six or seven really safe players, like guys that had fallen too far in the early rounds, Chris Paul, Jimmy Butler, and the super early stuff. So I had the opportunity to roll the dice. Not the point. The point of this discussion is, who are you getting if you drop, say, Chris Boucher? Is it... Like, I'll pick a guy that I like right now. Is it Nick Batum? Is that really... Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Now, Batum right now is number 72. And you guys know I'm, I'm high on him. I'm real high on Batum. I think he does a lot of the things the Clippers need in that offense. He's number 72 despite uh, missing almost all of his free throws so far this year. Everything else is pretty repeatable. And again, inside the top 75. With his minutes trending up. Yeah, there's a fear of Marcus Morris coming back and putting a little bit of a squeeze on him. I'm not really that worried about it. But at the same time, what are you getting? Are you picking up a Nick Batum? Are you picking up a Jalen Brunson, who's coming off this crazy massive game, and yet somehow still sits outside the top 115 because no defensive stats, minimal three-pointers, not actually that great of a free-throw shooter. Who are you getting if you drop one of our potential upside plays? Is it, if you're in a head-to-head league, is it changing the complexion of your team all that much to drop, uh, where's McConnell at right now? TJ McConnell's at 181. That's not very good. Might have sugarcoat that. That's not very good. But also, again, field goal percent is down. Steals are down. Assists are down. He's missed all of his free throws so far this year. What about Rob Covington, who we just talked about as a hold? Rob Covington, what are you getting if you drop him? He's number 136. You know, the jump from Rob Covington to Jalen Brunson is effectively nothing. There's almost no difference between guys in the 115 and 130 range. They're the same frickin' player. It's the same as the difference, I, I kid you not, between the number 17 and the number 20 player. That's the difference. 20 spaces back in the 115-130 range is the same as three in the second round. It's the same as one in some in the first round, but I felt like that wasn't really indicative because the first round is a special area where guys are separated by a lot. The guy you're picking up better have some upside. I think Batum actually does have a little bit of upside. Does, does Josh Hart have big-time upside? No, not really. We know he's going to get hurt. Brandon Ingram's still out. Uh, questionable. He might play, but was out. Zion, we don't know how long he's going to be out, but he's out. And at some point, that bad New Orleans team is going to shovel more minutes to younger legs. Josh Hart's not young legs. He's not an old guy, but he does kind of have old legs. So whatever you're doing here, whatever move you're making, and this is why I pivot back to the whole, like, it's easy to just say to drop somebody. But what are you getting on the other side of this? Would you drop someone like a TJ McConnell for Bobby Portis? I'd say probably, actually, because there's, there's upside built in there. Portis was good last year, and Brooke Lopez is out indefinitely. We don't know when the hell he's coming back. Chris Middleton's in COVID protocols. There's a lot of stuff going on with a team that made a finals run that's going to make their depth more uh, important this coming year. 
But would I drop some of these upside guys for someone like a Josh Hart? No, not really. You might get more from them in this immediate sense. But honestly, I don't know that I'm starting Josh Hart in a Roto Games format, uh, Games Cap format anyway. He's right on the bubble. So if I'm dropping someone with upside for someone that I might not start in a weekly or a Games Cap format anyway, then what am I doing? If you're in a brutal head-to-head struggle and, uh, and Larry Nance not scoring at all is costing you your week, move on. Okay? You know your situation better than I do. But again, if you're not in dire straits, like if you, if you lost brutally your first two weeks matchups, which doesn't seem all that feasible, your team shouldn't be that bad because Larry Nance isn't playing well. If you are like uh, four and 14 after two weeks, yeah, you're going to have to make some tough calls. But if your team's like eight and 10 or nine and nine or something like that, Take the long view. Um, we've done a lot of our discussion so far. I do want to take a moment here to uh, officially welcome you to the podcast. Friday, weekend edition, Fantasy NBA Today. I'm Dan Bespris. You can follow me on Twitter, at Dan Bespris. I'd like to say I'm going to be super active on social media, but again, I'm likely to be mostly gone this weekend. In general... I am extremely active on social, so please do drop me a follow at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S, or just Google Dan from Hoopball. That's the easiest way to find me on the Twitters. And I try to get back to almost everybody, although, again, give me a little respite here for these two days. Uh, Questions in time. I sort of run late on those. If you want really fast answers to questions from the HoopBall pros, you got to go get yourself a fantasy pass and pop into the HoopBall premium Discord where there's a running Ask the Pros thread that analysts are monitoring basically 24 hours a day, seven days a week, forever. Fantasy pass is $5.99 a month. You can go to hoop-ball.com and get that. Now, I've been throwing out some recruiting pitches of late. You can I'll do those again here today. HoopBall is looking for salespeople. And if you'd like to take over an existing podcast, we have a couple where we're sort of demoing potential hosts. The Brooklyn Nets show is an existing fan base looking for a new host. And the catbird seat of anything we've recruited for in a very long time is a Monday through Friday host of our sports betting podcast. I've got a couple of you guys that have written in. I'm hoping we can get a couple more candidates in the mix. This is an amazing opportunity if you're into sports betting and you can do any kind of podcasting. You don't need to know every sport because we have experts that can pop on. And all you got to do is ask them questions like, what do you like on so-and-so card tonight for the sports you're not as good at? But you do need to be able to talk and you need to be able to interview. And it's an amazing, amazing spot to grow your profile because there's a bunch of people that listen to that show already. And there's a bunch more that will if you get it going soon. Again, all of that can be done through my social at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S on Twitter. Or if you don't have Twitter, what are you doing? Email teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. few more names on the board. I mentioned a few of the ad names in my discussion. Daniel Gafford was dropped in some spots. He's an obvious ad. Alperen Shengun we saw dropped in a few spots. We talked about him on the pod before. He's still kind of an active stash right now because he really can't keep up with starting units on NBA teams. He handles himself quite well with reserves. And, you know, I, there's this 
I think there's this uh, assumption that everything is just going to be an immediate upward trend for someone like that. And I, I got to slam the brakes on a lot of analysts that are calling him basically a must-start guy already. He's number 168, everybody, which, considering how much complaining I've heard about like Rob Covington, he's 30 slots ahead. Shangun does have some interesting upside built in. We've seen him. He can rebound a little bit. He passes pretty well for a big guy. His steal rate's been insane so far this year, but it's coming down, which not surprisingly, because, you know, he's a center. But he can't shoot yet. Free throw stroke is not all that pure yet. His turnovers have been really high. He's basically getting uh, the, the sort of young ball handler treatment out of the center position. The young centers you want to look for early, at least, are guys that are rebounding and dunking. Those are the centers that can pile up fantasy value quickly. The ones that are actually relied upon to orchestrate, it's going to take longer, almost like a young point guard. And what I said to a lot of people that asked me this question, either in our Discord or on Twitter, is he's going to get dropped by some teams. Maybe not right now while Daniel Tice is out with a busted toe, so Shengun is starting, so everybody's eyes are on him, but as he slides back into that reserve slot and he's playing... 18 minutes a game, people are going to get frustrated. I think you can probably make an argument for almost treating him like an injured player in a games cap or weekly format. And then if you're in head-to-head, you hope that you get enough there where he's not kind of sinking you and just ride it out. Nick Batum is an ad. We talked about him already. Jalen Brunson is an ad because as long as he's starting, he's a monster, but he will at some point likely flip back to the bench. And then the question is, can that hold up? Josh Hart is an ad, much as I don't think there's a ton of upside there. He's number 160 right now. Uh, He's not getting any defensive stats, and that will come up a little bit. He's also a very good rebounding shooting guard. And while that team's beat up, you might as well try to milk it. And finally, Bobby Portis, who I also mentioned a moment ago. He's an ad. We saw him dangling on a few waiver wires. His minutes are ramping up off an injury, and he's going to do a ton, especially while guys on that team are hurt. Mentioned a, a few of the drop names already. The only one I don't think I, I got to was DeAndre Hunter, which it it kind of pains me to say, but he's number 205 in starters minutes because he's literally doing nothing in his time on the floor. He had one good ball game and seven really bad ones with opportunity. And it's not like a bunch of stuff needs to even off. Yeah, his free throw shooting has been weird so far, but that's not that big of an element of his game anyway. Field goal percent is still good. He's just not getting a ton of shots, like enough to be something, but he's not rebounding at all. I mean, this is your team's this is your team starting forward. Two and a half rebounds a game. That is unacceptably low. Half an assist? I don't know what's going on there, and I don't know that it's changing anytime ultra soon with the way that they're kind of made up in Atlanta. So I'm okay with the drop. He's just not doing anything. And then there's just an array of incredible streaming options right now. Tyrese Maxey's been a pretty good stream all season long. He did finally have a better ball game uh, yesterday, which put him right back near the edge of the top 100. He's a streamer type. I don't know why people talk about him like he's a must-start guy. He's really a stream. Uh, with Tobias Harris healthy, he probably isn't. Jordan Clarkson's a stream while Donovan Mitchell's out, although Donovan said it wasn't bad, so this might be short-term. Joe Ingles, you can put in that same bucket. Carmelo Anthony is a stream until the Lakers get healthy, but that could be a while yet. Dennis Schroeder is a stream if Jalen Brown has to miss any time. 
Patrick Beverly is a stream while D'Angelo Russell is out. Same story, Malik Beasley. Thad Young, stream while Jakob Pertle is out. Mason Plumley stream while P.J. Washington is out. And Grayson Allen has been your long streamer of the year so far. He's actually looked really good. I do worry what's going to happen to him with Drew Holiday coming back because Allen's sitting right around the edge of the top 90. While, by the way, not really shooting the ball all that well. Uh, likely to take some kind of hit here. And then when Middleton returns... Milwaukee gets most of those guys back. That's when you probably think about punting, although Dante DiVincenzo is the official nail in the coffin. A couple of buy-low guys. Jason Tatum is arguably the buy-low player of the, the century right now. I thought, I thought it was going to be somebody else, but Tatum's at number 96 while shooting a high-volume 37% from the field and a medium-slash-high-volume 74.5% at the free-throw line. I don't know what the hell's going on in Jason Tatum's brain right now, but it's kind of broken. His brain is broken, but all of his stuff is going to come around. This type of thing doesn't last the entire year. He's just, he's a, a shooting disaster, but right now his volume has never been higher. He's at 22 shots per game. He's, which be the, the biggest number he's ever averaged. Last year, he took 20 and a half shots per game. Shot 46%, 26.7 and a half rebounds, 4.3 assists, 1.7 combined defensive stats. Right now, the blocks are kind of high and the steals are kind of low. Maybe those stay where they are. Maybe they change a little bit. I don't know. The only thing we really need is the percentages to get back where they need to be. Because if this dude's taking 22 shots a game, he should be making about 10 of them, given the, the numbers we saw last year. And that's, we're talking about two additional field goals per ball game. We're also talking about a guy who should be making about another half to two-thirds of a free throw per game based on where he's been throughout his career. So, you know, you're looking at like five to six more points per game for Tatum where he stands right now. He was a 26 and a half last year. He should be, given his current usage, probably more like 28 to 28 and a half. That's a big difference. And then on the assists front, well, no one can shoot so far. So, of course, assists are down for a lot of guys. Three and a half can become four very quickly as everybody else starts to put the ball in the hoop. And certainly he's getting yelled at for maybe not passing enough. He'll be fine. I don't know what it's going to take to get him. That's the other half of that thing. I don't really know what it's going to take to get Jason Tatum. But I can tell you it's not a first rounder right now. You can He can be had for less than that. So if you drafted someone like, I mean, hell, uh, you're not going to be able to get him for Harrison Barnes. It's not going to be somebody drafted like back near 100. But uh, throw Demonis Sabonis out there. He's at number 22, and he's basically never going to move off of that. In fact, his steals are probably going to come down, and so his value probably goes with them. OG Ananobi has been really good so far, but this is probably where you should expect him. Somewhere in this neck of the woods. CJ McCollum, that probably won't be enough. DeJounte Murray, would that be enough? Uh, I doubt it. You'd probably have to pair him up with something. I don't think Gal Horford would get it done. I know he's in the first round right now. So it all comes down to that perceived value versus real value. Uh, Michael Porter Jr., also a buy low. He can be had, I think, for a much cheaper price. Now, with, with that... You're looking for somebody drafted maybe in the 60s, overperforming. Mm, 
who might you find in that neck of the woods? Tough to say, because uh, you're going to have a tough time parting with some of these dudes. You might even be able to go a little bit deeper down the board, which I know is weird. Like, I, People are going to hate me for this. I might give up someone like a Devin Booker, but that's just because I think he's going to be way lower than everyone else. Spencer Dinwiddie, would that get it done? Probably not. D'Anthony Melton, maybe you could combine those two types of guys. Just looking at some names on the board here. Anthony Edwards is number 48. There might be the perception that he's much, much higher than that, but because of a low field goal percent, that's going to keep that number down a little bit. You guys aren't even going to want to part with these guys, so maybe I shouldn't even go down that road. But uh, MPJ can be had for a, a relatively affordable rate. I mean, throw Jeremy Grant at somebody, see what happens. He's number 60. JJJ was a buy low until that last ball game. I don't know if... It, if you're going to be able to pry him out of anybody's cold, dead hands anymore. Tyler Hero is probably my main sell guy right now, and really it only took one poor ball game to drop him back to number 84. Get what you can, because his numbers are so heavily built on scoring that it it's super easy to drop off. It just takes one or two non-scoring games, or like one of the other categories doesn't quite lift where you fall like a boulder. That's the tough thing, man. When, you're, when your game is all about basically one category, and, and to Hero's credit, he's actually rebounded relatively well so far this year. It's just so easy to move on the board. There's no, there's no tether. They, these players that do one category are untethered when it's a category that, that moves so much. When it's like blocks, it's, a, it's sort of a different thing Miles Turner, 2.9 blocks right now. If that went to like 2.4, yeah, he'd fall a long way. But also, you know, what? how many games will it take to move that type of number? More. Because even one block in a game, it doesn't move that much off of three in kind of a weighted total. With points, if you have one bad scoring game and you drop a couple of points, that's, that's far. Also, to Turner's credit... Uh, he's been good field goal percent and rebounding and three-pointers as well. But anyway, you, you catch my meaning. It's just really easy to move when points is the category that you that you build your value into. Miles Bridges is obviously a sell high, but at this point, I don't even know what you'd take back that would make you feel good about it. He's number four on a per-game basis in nine-category leagues. It's just outrageous. He's all nine categories right now. He's a net positive. That's crazy. That's Kawhi Leonard stuff. Is Miles Bridges Kawhi Leonard now? I cannot imagine that all of this sticks. I can't. Uh, scoring's going to come down. Threes will come down. Rebounds will probably come down. Steals will come down. Blocks, I don't know. Field goal percent. Free throw percent. Those might hold. But you're looking at a guy that has absolutely taking the leap inside the top 50. There's almost no question about that right now. And again, with every game, he stays inside the first round. You have some buffer. I think at this point, he's been so good that you could just wait. And if he even has like two middling games, he'll probably stay near the first round. And people are going to look at the number. Like, I actually think it's more valuable now to just let him be okay for a couple of games to solidify how long he's been in the first round. We're a couple good Miles Bridges games away from you being able to sell high and ask for a second rounder back. 
Like, we're we're almost there. You could probably get C.J. McCollum back for him right now if you wanted to. Not that I think he's going to stay in the second round either, but you guys catch my meaning. Uh, we are a couple good games away from you being able to ask for Julius Randle or DeJounte Murray or Demonis Sabonis or whatever these guys are that you believe are really going to stick somewhere in that territory, and people won't laugh at you. That's We're that close. Right now, I don't know. Right now, you could almost definitely get someone in the 35 to 50 range for him, but at this point, just squeeze a few more drops out. So he's is, he is a sell high, but he's not on my sell high list this week because I do think he's been so good that there's more value in letting it see, in letting us all see if he can do it a little bit longer. Because I don't think a massive drop-off is coming in one game. It's not like overnight he's going to suddenly go back to being like a top 80 guy. You might have a few games where he's putting up like a top 80 line, and then a few games where he's top 40, and it'll be more subtle. Actually, very reminiscent of Malcolm Brogdon last year. Got off to that big start, and then sort of subtly the free throw and the field goal percent tapered off, and the scoring and the assist tapered off. And nobody really noticed until all of a sudden it was like, oh, wasn't this guy top 25 like a month ago, and now he's top 45? What happened? I think that's what probably will happen here with Bridges, where he'll just sort of subtly be like a top 50 guy for a couple of weeks, and he'll fall back from number 4 to number 14 and then number 20. But no one will really notice it while it's happening, which is why there's probably more value in letting this thing ride. See if you can catch more of these intense... Uh, volcano fireball games that he's doing right now. And in the process, if you start to see a slight trickling drop-off, that's when you start making your moves. Want to give you guys a quick weekend look ahead before we wrap up this uh, wild Friday weekend review thing. I don't want to spend too much time on it because I think you you generally know what we're, what we're taking a gander at here. Uh, a few things to really localize your viewage over the weekend. Detroit, I really want to know what's going on with that center position, and I, I, I want to see more out of Kelly Olynyk, but I'm also giving him a ton of rope because we know how good he can be. San Antonio, a little bit more info on the Jakob Pertl streaming division. Thad Young seems like a reasonable stream right now, but I, I 22 minutes is a little bit tenuous in terms of how much that can actually produce on a day-to-day basis. With Orlando, um, what are they really trying to do with Chuma Okiki? We, we've seen the minutes start to trend up a little bit, but not that much. Is he a big part of the future or not? Memphis, um, not a ton. I mean, the JJJ stuff as he works his way back into full strength. Washington, you're, you're keeping an eye on Daniel Gafford, seeing if anybody gets frustrated there. Uh, Brooklyn, nothing. Knicks, Bucks, nothing really there. Drew Holiday, I guess, coming back from Milwaukee, so you can see what what trickling effect that might have. Cleveland, the regulars are going to go big, while Larry Markin and Kevin Love are on COVID protocols. With Toronto, you're, of course, keeping tabs on Chris Boucher in the front court minutes. Sounds like Scotty Barnes is hoping to play. We'll see if that indeed shakes out. Clippers, Nick Batum, Reggie Jackson, anything else that might sort of work in the periphery around those. Minnesota, Patrick Beverly, what sort of stream is he looking at? Pelicans, blech, but sort of Josh Hart. Warriors, nothing. Pacers, TJ McConnell's minutes are certainly up in the air. Portland, Rocco, Larry Nance, front court stuff. Charlotte, not much. Sacramento, not much, other than are they going to kind of start to give the reins to Tyrese Halliburton a little bit more? Because 
damn, he's looked good so far this year. Turning the page towards Saturday, Houston. I think we're finally going to see guys settle in a little bit. Jay Sean Tate's been better his last few ball games now with starters minutes, so that hopefully takes that question mark off the table. And then everything else is, well, kind of up in the air. We talked about Alpern Schengen earlier in the ballgame. MPJ with Denver, that's the guy you're watching. Utah, Donovan Mitchell's health and what streams may come. By the way, that's a play on what dreams may come. You may remember that movie. Uh, Miami, Kyle Lowry turned his ankle. Probably should have mentioned that earlier in the show. I don't think that there's going to be an obvious replacement fantasy player here. Probably more ball handling for Jimmy Butler. More for Tyler Hero, more for Bam Adebayo. We'll see if they can bounce back from an ugly game against Boston. Philly, Stream City, Chicago. How long can Alex Russo really average two and a half steals per game? I got to think that number comes down into the mid to high ones. At which point, does he fall outside the top 100? I think there's a reasonable chance he does. Boston, what of some injuries, a couple of injuries suffered during that ball game. I think we're going to see some Dennis Schroeder streaming opportunity here. Dallas is hoping to get Kristaps Porzingis back for this ball game over the weekend. Uh, so ready thyself. And what will that do to someone like a Jalen Brunson? Because he's probably the guy going to the bench. We'll see. Hawks, wings, Phoenix, nothing. Lakers, nothing really. And I don't think anybody is not playing today or tomorrow, but just a quick glance at Sunday confirms that... The Thunder, actually, are off for those two games, but we're not really paying close attention to them anyway. You're just you're you're watching the growth of Josh Giddy because you knew Shea was going to be okay at some point this year. He remains an intense end-of-season fear guy, but he's in the 40s right now, and that's probably where he's going to stick. That's his spot. That's where he was last year. Steals and blocks are down a little bit for him since he took on that bigger usage role, and then everything else is solid. Field goal percent, free throw percent, all that stuff. There's... Right now, it's not taking as much, by the way, to get inside the top 50 because so many players have been bad to start the year and field goal percents are just sort of generally down. So I know we say like, well, his field goal percent will probably come up a little bit, but a lot of other guys will too. So everyone's going to kind of float up the board together. You got to look for the ones that are way off the mark, like a a Michael Porter Jr., like a Damian Lillard, like a Reggie Jackson, things like that, where guys are going to move five, six, seven. 8% or more, MPJ might be like 15%, that's the type of field goal reversion that could have an impact. Like Donovan Mitchell going from 41.5 to 43, that's not going to change his outlook very much because, again, everybody's going to come up 1% or 2% as teams settle in here. We're seeing so much of this, the rust shake-off period this year that, again, if everybody's going up 1% or 2%, then if you're 1% or 2% under your mark, that's not really a, a, it's not statistically significant, but if you're like 7 or 8% down, yeah, that's something you want to work into the math. Thanks again, everybody, for listening. hope you enjoyed this stretch of 36 shows in 36 days. If you did, please drop a five-star review on the pod. I've said it before. I've said it again. I will love you forever. I really will. That's all it takes is a review on a podcast to earn my undying affection. I know I run cheap like that. But thank you to everybody that's done it so far. Uh, Much, much, much appreciated starting on Monday. I will loop it back around and reverse chronological lightning round Monday. Again, if you're figuring out how to drop a review on a show, it's annoying. 
podcast app on your mobile device, search for Fantasy NBA Today, and then you got to scroll all the way down to the bottom. They hid it from you. If you're on a computer, it's a little bit more straightforward. Again, massive thank you to everybody that's been listening throughout this crazy run of shows. I am Dan Vespris, at Dan Vespris on Twitter. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a hoop ball presentation. Have a great weekend. I will. We'll talk to you on Monday, everybody. So long. This has been a hoop ball presentation.